What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. This episode of Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by GoToMeeting. We all have to meet, but the average cost of a single business trip is $1,000. With just one click, you can save time and money and have your meetings online with affordable and easy-to-use GoToMeeting. Use GoToMeeting for sales presentations, product demos, training sessions, collaborating on documents, and more. And at $49 per month for unlimited meetings, it saves time, money, and travel. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash stuff. That's gotomeeting.com slash stuff. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark across this vast gulf of a table <laughs> in our brand new VOC heavy studio. Yeah. Is Charles W. Chuck Bryant, right? We're in, people. This is our brand new studio. This is our first time recording it. And now it's we got to get used to this weirdness all over again. <laughs> I know. Things just can't be normal, can they? So now we're in weird chairs, and the table is huge, and Jerry, I can't even talk about Jerry, because she's not even in the room with us anymore. Wait, Chuck, did you just pronounce huge with the out, the H, with the H being silent? Did you just say huge? I've been saying human being and huge ever since I uh, came back from New York. <laughs> huge. Yeah, it's huge. Okay. Huge. And Jerry isn't even in our vision, line of vision, and I hate that. Yeah, it's... Odd. Things are odd. There's like a, a, a burlap curtain. I'm wearing headphones. Made out of old potatoes. <laughs> all right, Chuck, let's let's get this going, all right? All right. Enough griping from us. I know, seriously. Nobody cares. No one cares. Um I had like a great intro to this one. Let's hear it. But I can't remember. Oh, yes, Chuck. You know that there's a lot of finger pointing about how nine eleven was allowed to happen, right? Uh, is there? there? There has been. Okay. I don't know if there is any more. All right. But at first there was a lot of finger pointing, and a lot of that fell on Clinton. Oh, yeah, sure. Because, you know, Bush is pretty new. He was a he was a newbie still right. as far as presidents go, and Clinton had been president for two terms. Blame it on the previous guy. It's an American tradition. It really is. Um, but the thing is, Clinton's uh, administration, Clinton's CIA, uh, had passed along a list of high-valued targets of um, people in the Al-Qaeda network before the, the September 11th attacks ever happened. And there was a lot of talk about what to do with this list of people right. um, after September 11th. Like, you know, say, 
11 a.m. on September 11th, the talk started about sure. what to do with this list as it became clear that this was al-Qaeda. Right. That it carried out this, this heinous attack, right? And one of the things that we did with it was to publish a um, deck of cards. I have that deck. Do you really? Yeah, a friend of mine gave me that deck. Yes. Do you remember that you could get them like at convenience stores and yeah, sure. American public be on the lookout for these guys and yeah, also yeah. enjoy some, you know, Texas Hold'em with right. them as well. And my, mine is camo on the other side. Is it really? Yeah, sure. That's appropriate. Um, but so there was a lot of talk about what to do with this list of people. We had their names in a lot of cases. We knew uh, where they were. And, um, one of the one of the ideas that was suggested was to start assassinating all of them, and that one was, uh, I think, probably fairly well entertained. But the CIA had been, as far as we know, out of um, practice with assassinations for a while. Yeah, sure they have. <laughs> <laughs> um, so instead, we decided to start um, stepping up a program called Extraordinary Rendition. Right, right, which would be a great band name. As soon as I heard it. You you think everything's a great band name? No, I'm not. Everyone everyone thinks everything's a good band name, but not me. No, okay, no, you're you're <laughs> the exception, that. right? I'm the guy who named his band El Chipo, so sure. I know it's a good one. Yeah. What was the other one? A uh, designer kitty or what? There was another band name recently that you liked. Oh, I don't know. Okay. Well, anyway, this extraordinary rendition program actually dated back to um, the Bush Senior presidency. Right. In January 1992, uh, George. Herbert Walker Bush uh-huh. um, signed a presidential finding authorizing extraordinary rendition, which basically is kidnapping. Yeah, a finding, we should say, is sort of like an executive order. Right. It's one of those things that a president can just say, make it happen. But it's pretty much a secret executive order. Right. I mean, like, its existence can be uh, made public, but its contents aren't. Right. And actually, the executive order that um, Bush Sr. signed... Um, allowing or authorizing extraordinary rendition is still classified, right. right? Yeah. But what we know is that it was used a couple of dozen times, uh, largely in the Clinton era, and for the most part it was used to go into countries that harbored terrorists, uh-huh. kidnap the terrorists, and then bring them to American courts for trial. Yeah, or other places. Well, th- that that kind of stepped up after 2001. Right. After, after uh, Bush Jr. came into power, um, the CIA stopped, I guess, kind of wanting to put their faith in American courts right. and risk the coin toss of, of an American jury sure. going in favor of a terrorist. Right. So they started using extraordinary rendition to third-party nations. So yeah. now, not only are we kidnapping foreign nationals, we're kidnapping foreign nationals and taking them to other countries that they don't have an affiliation with Yeah. so that we can basically outsource torture, interrogation, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, and we should point out at this point that um, during this kind of rendition, uh, this isn't the kind of rendition you want to hear if you're a detainee, because it basically means you can't, uh, you don't have a lot of contact with the outside world, as in none. Right. You don't have rights to habeas corpus. You can't call your attorney and say, you know, get me out of here on bail. Right. Uh, That kind of thing. It's very secret. You're abducted. I think one of the stories you listed was a guy that they set up a a, uh, fake fundraiser. And invited this guy to it, yeah, in order to capture him. Yeah, after after nine eleven, like the world stage turned into like this um, plot exposition montage from a Mission Impossible movie, right, or a Simpsons episode. <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah. People just started disappearing. Actually, yeah, pretty much. And by the very socio or the the, the very um, geopolitical definition of disappearing, 
It was they were kidnapped by a government entity uh-huh. and kept out of the um, purview of the courts and stripped of any kind of rights, right? Right. So the problem is we went from using a couple of extraordinary rendition on a couple of dozen people uh-huh. throughout the entire 90s right? to, um, by the New York Times estimate, <clears throat> at least 307 um, between late 2001 and 2005. That's probably a very, very low number, right? So we yeah. go from a couple of dozen in a decade to 307 and more in about four years. And we don't exactly know where to put these people. The CIA didn't want to bring them to the yeah. U.S. because they didn't want them to be prosecuted in American courts. Right. They wanted these people to lose all their rights and to disappear so that they could be kept for as long as the CIA wanted them. Right. Until they found out what they needed. So what they did was set up a, a network of secret prisons. Right? Ghost prisons, as they're called. Yes, and they're known as ghost prisoners. There you go. And they are uh, the... uh, the podcast. Yeah, if only. Human Rights Watch, you've you've heard of that group. They have a list on the Internet about uh, a list of ghost prisoners, suspected Mm -hmm. ghost prisoners. Mm -hmm. And it's very long, and the CIA is always like, we don't comment on that kind of thing because those lists are probably not accurate. Right. That they, They towed the company line there. Right. Because the CIA couldn't say, yeah, that list is really accurate, and we do this. Uh, the CIA, for years and years and years, after the, the their cover was blown, would never acknowledge that there were secret prisons, right? Well, yeah, but GW had to come clean in, what, 06? In Atlanta. Oh, was it in Atlanta? With Sonny Perdue standing next to him. Really? Yeah, he, he acknowledged the existence of secret prisons, and it was probably, after seeing W, right. it was probably just like a, a snafu or... He didn't. He didn't mean to say it. He was probably right. tricked into admitting it, right. but he did, <laughs> and um, so it came out that yes, these these do exist, but but we don't use them any longer. And then in January of two thousand nine, uh-huh. Obama first thing he does is shuts down the CIA secret prison network. Three yeah. years after they stopped using it, apparently. Well, that, that was on his second full day in office. Mm-hmm. He did that, but. ProPublica, you've heard of them too, right? Yes. They uh, they say that there are um, dozens of ghost prisoners uh, still unaccounted for. So it's, um, you know, he says he shut them down, but they say ProPublica, all these human rights groups say that they're still, they don't know where these dudes are. Well, the other, the other possibility is that the secret prisons have been shut down, but those people are dead. Um, that's kind of... Uh, that was par for the course in a lot of ways for the CIA secret prisons. If you have no rights whatsoever, sure. if you die in custody, nobody cares. Like, let's say... Or you, I shouldn't say no one cares. There's no accountability for that. Right. So, right? for instance, let's say you were um, you died of asphyxiation because you were held in a shipping container. Yeah. Have you seen uh, The Road to Guantanamo? No. There's a It's a kind of, I guess, dock... No, I know about it. I just haven't seen it. It's worth seeing. Yeah, I mean, I it's, check it it's, out. it's 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 worth seeing. Um, but there's a there's a scene in there that that shows that these people being rounded up and shipped across Afghanistan, right, in a huge like shipping container, and like when they open the doors the next day, like most of them are dead. It's yeah. gross. It's really disturbing. Well, it's like when you get the pet turtle in the shoebox. You gotta. Mom, <laughs> mom always says, you know, remember the holes in the top. Yeah. 
So apparently mom wasn't around to remind them of this. No, people weren't thinking like that. Yeah, and the one dude froze to death? Yeah, in the, the, the secret prison with, and I have to say, they had some pretty cool code names. Yeah. Uh, the, one of the first and one of the largest was codenamed Salt Pit. And it was in a brick factory, an abandoned brick factory outside of Kabul. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, a, a junior CIA officer who was kind of new on this kind of thing ordered a, a detainee stripped naked uh-huh. and chained to the floor. And he was left overnight. And it can get pretty cold, apparently, in Kabul. I guess so. Uh, and the guy froze to death. Yeah. So, I mean, it's entirely possible that this two dozen... These two dozen people, and I'm surprised it's not more, but these two dozen people who are unaccounted for right. are are dead. Right. That's probably the case. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the names. I've, I dug up a couple of more, um, and I would say these are probably top ten lists of camps you don't want to go to, <laughs> but Camp Dark Prison was one. That's a bad one. <laughs> and my favorite was Camp Bond Steel, B-O-N-D-S-T-E-E-L. Nice. Camp Bond Steel. And thank you for spelling it. Well, it's not steel as in take. It's steel as in this is sure. metal that I will beat you with. <laughs> right. This is metal that you will live behind right. for the rest of your life. Because so Camp Bond Steel. If you, um, well, let's talk about what, what you lose when you're in a CIA prison, the, the rights you lose. Um, traditionally, do you remember like a few years ago uh, the whole – you know, what What are the people in Guantanamo Bay? Are they enemy combatants? Are they right. non-combatants? Sure. Are they terrorists? Like, what kind of rights do they have? Right. Are they Do they fall under the Geneva Convention? And it was largely decided by the Bush administration that, no, these people didn't have Geneva Convention rights. Right, right. right. Um, with, uh, the, under the purview of the Geneva Convention, the Red Cross is charged with going to visit enemy combatants and prisoners of war right um on both sides and 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 see how they're treated um with the secret prisons first of all the people no one knew that these people had been you know yeah um kidnapped what wouldn't be very good secret prison exactly if the red cross knew about it where they were and yeah they were denied you know the red cross even after the red cross found out that they were here and and i know you've got this guy here and we want to visit them in the secret prison we'll be quiet See, it's like, no, we're not letting you in. Right. So that kind of shook things up. That's a big deal. Sure. Um, there's no yeah. habeas corpus. No. And and like you mentioned earlier, they they would go to countries where they typically might torture people. And because the U.S. isn't allowed to, obviously, to torture. Well, they, they weren't at the time. Right. This is before it was, we decided, yeah, yeah, we torture. Right. But the, we outsourced it, like you mentioned. Yeah. So we would, let's say, set up in, um, I think you said the first one was in Thailand. Yeah. So they were looking around. They're like, "Where would I go if I wanted to set up a secret prison where you might be able to uh, torture somebody?" And Thailand was like, "Come on over. You can set up shop here." And <laughs> the, they outsourced it. But from what I read in your article was, you wrote this, right? Yeah. From what I read was, the U.S. could say like, "Hey, ask him about the microfilm." Right. We would pass along questions or sure. direction or something like that. And the the last I wrote this thing in uh, I can't remember sometime in 2007 I think late 2007 and at the time the last um, report I'd had of a, of somebody being held in a secret prison right was uh, in Africa I believe North uh, Africa yeah uh, and and some Americans and Canadians uh, reported having contact with Americans in these like African prisons yeah Westerners yeah being held captive secretly sure. And some guy behind the curtain saying, use the dental drill. Exactly. Is it safe? And he sounds like he's from Omaha. <laughs> and he shouldn't because this is, you know, yeah. Africa. 
uh, and other places, other other black site host countries. Yeah, that's what they're called. Just like the black budgets mm-hmm. and black ops. Mm-hmm. These are black sites, right? Or ghost prisons. So you put black in front of it, and if it's related to the government, and there's no description, there's just like a huge budget on a line item. Yeah, with a sharpie. Yeah, that is exited out. That's a secret prison. Yeah. Um, there are uh, some of the other countries are Azerbaijan, Oman, Jordan, Morocco, Syria, Egypt, Algeria. All of these places were um, receiving prisoners. Didn't necessarily have a black site. May right. have, but then uh, most of the black site. Uh, countries, host countries, were um, Eastern European, like Lithuania and Romania. Yeah, but and once uh, once it came out, though, they would probably try to shut it down, right? Because they didn't want this to get out to the press. Well, not only did they not want it to get out to the press, they didn't necessarily want it to get out to the president of that country. In a oh. lot of cases, it was like the CIA, uh-huh. uh, maybe uh, a couple of, maybe the, am- the U.S. ambassador of that country, right. and a couple of, like, say, Bulgaria's secret police, like, high commanders. Those are the only people on the planet who knew that there was a secret prison in right. Bulgaria. What are they getting out of Romania? I wondered that myself, too. I mean, like... It's got to be money, right? Can, sure. It would have to be, because I, do you really think Bulgarians are quite as amped up about American patriotism right. as, say, you know, the average American is? Yeah. I wouldn't think so. And especially uh, a Bulgarian secret police officer, you know? Well, yeah. So, yeah, I would think money. Well, we yeah. What I said though a second ago is they would close like Thailand when the word got out that they were doing this. Said now we should close this, but it seems like every time it happened they would just find a different country and then go set up shop there. Right, and w- with Eastern Europe in particular, it was a little prickly or ticklish because um, hmm. well, when the Washington uh, Post broke this story, they even said in the article like we're not going to reveal the names of the host countries because it's right. so sensitive. Right, um, that these countries governments are really going to have problems on their hands when it comes out. Oh, yeah. And, and indeed, they did at first. Um, but the, the reason why is because these were all post-Soviet uh, bloc countries uh-huh. that had, you know, adopted democracies after the fall of the Soviet Union. Right. Um, and were now, you know, involved in this horrible uh, secret prison network. Right. You know, you were talking about when word got out. Do you know how word got out? Well, is this the Thailand one? No. Word got out on what then? On like the existence of the secret prison. Oh, network. period. Yeah. Uh, yeah. D- d- wasn't a, a canary singing, singing like a canary? No, there was the pigeon. There was basically it was the CIA's fault. They didn't do their legwork. They didn't do their homework. Oh, with the uh, the manifest for the planes. Yes. Yeah. So this is what this is what cracks me up. The CIA. This is the funny part. Is kidnapping people, taking them to a secret prison network uh-huh. that they've set up. Right. And yet they're honest about flight manifests. Right. Right? Yeah, that's what I don't get. So uh, there was a Swedish TV producer who um, basically did some like hard-hitting journalism. I think it was called Cold Facts was the translation of with, the Swedish Sven show. Sven Svensson. We'll call him Sven Svensson. <laughs> yeah. I think that's good. And if that's not his name, I'll bet Sven Svensson is better than his real name. Sure. So Sven um, was was... I guess investigating the the extradition of two um, Swedish citizens to Egypt for questioning. Right, uh, they were suspected terrorists. So Sven starts looking into um, 
the plane that that took them there. Right. And it was a Gulfstream Five. Yeah, they charter these, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. It was a Gulfstream Five, and uh, it was registered to uh, a company. Sven found out very quickly. Um, called Premier Executive Transport Services, <laughs> and it was registered in Dedham, Massachusetts. So Sven calls Premier Executive Transport Services, leaves a message, wants to know about you know why they would be transporting um, suspected terrorists to Egypt. Right. And 15 minutes later, gets a call from the Swedish Intelligence Service saying, like, stop asking questions. Right. And so Sven starts looking a little further, and apparently... Um, finds out very quickly in very short order that there are 36 planes chartered by the CIA, um, making odd stops that are all that are all yeah making odd stops with the nationalities of the people on board, uh-huh. and it, they would go from like say um, Afghanistan yeah this guy to Egypt sure. to uh, Morocco and then to Guantanamo yeah they're flying from Afghanistan to Guantanamo but somehow they can't get a direct flight and they stop off at like four places along the way. Right. And then at each stop, there's somebody who's, um, you know, uh, um, country of origin is Oman and right. they, but they get off, you know, in, in Cuba. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was very flimsy. All the, uh, all of the companies were dummy cor- corporations that had like PO boxes listed and yeah, the Swedish intelligence service basically tipped this guy off and he blew the whistle. And right. I think 2004, was when it really Sven started rolling. Yeah. No. Sven, Sven, Svensson, RIP. So these prisons, Josh, uh, we're not saying that, you know, these are nice guys that shouldn't be picked on. These, you know, these are big, big time. And the one in uh, Thailand, I think the first one, their first guest, their first overnight guest was uh, Abu Zuba, uh, Zubaydah. Yeah. And he was uh, a top Al-Qaeda guy. He was captured in a shootout in Pakistan, was recovering in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I think he probably knew what was was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, he's in the hospital saying, I'm still not feeling that great. Maybe I should stay here a little longer. <laughs> and then he recovers, and then they're like, well, why don't you come stay in our, our private hotel? Was he the one that they, they kidnapped out of his uh, hospital bed in Somalia? Uh, no, no, no. They, they just he said was in he Pakistan? Was, yeah, they were, he was just recovering after a shootout, and then okay. they brought him to their little the secret hotel. Mm-hmm. And uh, you pointed out that they, he was treated well. He, well, he was... Tortured and treated well. So they, you said they fed him breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, yeah, and he loved Kit Kats, and they gave him Kit Kats all the time. Did he? I don't know. <laughs> that's what I. That's what I read. Well, it said they fed him. He was treated well because they fed him baked chicken and candy bars. But what if on his little questionnaire he filled out like allergic to chocolate and I hate chicken? Maybe oh, that that's, was part that's of the entirely torture. possible. I just wanted to bring that up. There's also um, Chuck a list on Mother Jones, I think. Yeah, yeah. Of um, music, the music of torture or something like that. Metallica's high up the list, I know that. Metallica, Rick Astley. Oh, really? Yeah, the Barney it, it song. They rolled their... Uh... Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> Barney song at um, Guantanamo, very loudly, over and over and over again. And uh, the Meow Mix commercial. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I would do the um, Cook's Pest Control here locally. <laughs> Looky, 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 here comes Cookie. Cook's best control. Yeah. Uh, the, the the guy I mentioned, though, the Abu uh, Zubaya, Zubaya. Yeah. He was joined shortly thereafter by Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. Who's a high-value, yeah. high, high-value high target. So I'm sure when he checked in to the secret hotel, 
the other guy was like, oh, crap, this what's, is not good. What's odd is that, you know, it, it took us as many years as it did to start assassinating people. Like, uh, I think it was just in the last couple of months that um, news broke of some programs that the CIA was outsourcing to, like, um, Z Worldwide, Blackwater. Right. And other contractors, ex-Delta Force guys who were, you know, going into Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iraq, and assassinating um, like Al Qaeda leaders and other terrorist guys, right? right? Uh-huh. So I wonder why we didn't just do that at first. Instead, you know, started. I guess we needed info. Yeah, intelligence. Oh, we sure. had none. So I guess it's probably why they were like, "Well, we can't kill them." Yeah, yeah we want we them need alive. To know what, what's going on? So we can waterboard them. Yeah, and then eight years later, we'll start assassinating and them. give them Kit Kats. Right. Apparently. So, oh, latest news on this. Um, yeah, there's some pretty recent stuff going on. Yeah, did you read about the um, Physicians for Human Rights report? Yes. So basically, there were physicians present at a lot of these enhanced interrogations, and not just in an observational manner. Evidently. Well, that's what they were supposed to be there for. Was to basically right. like, hey, you just almost drowned, so let me make sure you're still alive and breathing and in good health, right? Yeah, that's um, that's okay, actually. Apparently. As far as the American Medical Association and and international um, treaties are concerned, right, you're allowed to do that. You're still fulfilling your purpose as a physician, right? They took it a step further, right? Yes, they did. Uh, they have a, a report out, Josh, called "Experiments in Torture: Evidence of Human Subject Research and Experimentation in the Enhanced Interrogation Program." And from what I gather, the long and short of it is, they were gathering information that could later be used to defend in court the torturers. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I think they were quantifying pain thresholds. Right. Like, like if you waterboard this guy for this long, uh-huh. he'll experience a pain of eight. Right. So they were kind of writing an, an outline of what you can do and still get defended in a court of law. Right, which transferred their position as physicians to um, researchers. Yeah. And it tr- it transferred the position of these um, detainees as Patients to test subjects. Exactly. So they were engaging in human experimentation. Yeah, pretty much. And gathering data Absolutely. from torture, which is yeah. totally illegal. Yeah. But isn't everything about the ghost prison network illegal? Yeah, oh yeah. Pretty much everything that took place as far as the CIA was concerned after 2001 was illegal. And it's not like we're little babes in the woods. It's not like the CIA's just been, you know, yeah. on the up and up since then. But sure. this is... What this is so this is recent. This is yeah. going on now still. I imagine. Yeah, there was a um, another joint study, a 226-page report published in January of this year, and um, it's a joint study by the well. There's like four different groups. I won't read all of them. All human rights groups. Yeah. And they said of uh, particular concern to the authors. I'm going to read this verbatim. Beyond the overall illegality of the entire project conceived and executed by the Bush administration is the fate of dozens of men held in secret prisons run by the CIA or transferred to CIA prisons. So they estimate, you said a couple of dozen? You said a couple dozen, I thought. Did I? No. They're saying that 94 prisoners um, had been redacted and uh, had enhanced interrogation techniques to varying degrees performed on 28 of the 94. So this was part of the whole uh, torture memo thing. How is it that low? I would think it would be way more than that. Yeah. You know? I would too. So, well, that's what they found out. Yeah. So who knows? It may have been more. Yeah. Good t- good times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
It's weird. America in the 21st century was a weird place. The first decade was odd. Yeah. If you ask me. But Obama's trying to shut these down. And I think has for the most part. Yeah, we'll see. I don't. Up, but I don't know. But I'm not. I'm not saying that there's not, you know, hinky stuff going on there too. Uh, definitely not. I'm Again, not, we're not, not naive little babes, babes in the woods. This episode of Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by GoToMeeting, the affordable way to meet with clients and colleagues. For your free 30-day trial, visit GoToMeeting.com slash stuff. You got anything else? Uh, no, I'm good. If you want to learn more, um, uh, re- you can read my 2007 article, uh, Was There? Was There? A secret CIA prison <laughs> network. Just yes. type in CIA and prison in the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And that takes us, of course, to listener mail. No, no, Josh. Oh, yeah. We're going to do just a little quickie New York recap for those of our friends who could not be there. Dude, New York was huge. It was odd and weird <laughs> and so surreal cool. and awesome above what, all else. One of the things I learned about our fans... Um, at least our fans in the Brooklyn area. Yeah, sure. Um, they're very self-aware and self-conscious people, and that makes them highly relatable to us. <laughs> so, like, the question, the biggest question I got was, this must be very weird for you, huh? I didn't get that much. I got it every time. Really? And every time my answer is like, yeah, actually, it's really weird. Maybe that's because you were standing there like, uh... Like twitching? Yeah. Yeah. It, but it, I, I got it a lot, and it was uh, it was nice. It actually, I found it um, disarming. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So we, you know, everyone knows we went to New York. We had a few media opportunities. We did a few interviews. Um, but Monday night was when we had our uh, happy hour. Yes. At the Knitting Factory in Brooklyn. With the Onion, which, dude, we couldn't have done any of this without the Onion. Thank yeah. you to Dan and Joe. Yes. Uh, for putting this Huge. stuff together. Yes. And just being our buds. Yeah, that was a real treat to get to know those guys for sure. <laughs> treat. It was. A sincere <laughs> sensation. That's I know. What I you sound like my dad. It was a real <laughs> treat, Josh. So we have our happy hour. We get there. Um, tons of people show up. Mm-hmm. The fire department comes at one point because <laughs> there were too many people there. I know. Which was so awesome. No, I know. I was like, "What's a, is something on fire? And they weren't in a hurry. They were just kind of standing around talking to people like, uh, you know, trying to gauge the amount of people, I think. Yeah. So we got to meet people. We got to uh, hang out with people and drink a adult beverage with people. We got to meet Mark. Australian Wagga Wagga Mock. Yeah, thanks for the koozie, bud. Yeah, I mean, we got to meet a lot of people who, and I remembered a lot of them. Sock from Ninja Mail. showed up on Monday. Sock Ninja, the dude, uh, Chris, uh, Chris and his wife, whose wife was carjacked. Carjacked, yeah. Chris Witt. Yes. He was there with his wife. Yeah. And they were super awesome. They were almost kind of working for us. They were yeah helping with the t-shirts and taking yeah. photographs. Yeah, and there was uh, Greg, I believe. Yeah, he, he he was kind of helping me too. Uh-huh. He was helping me like move the the line along and everything. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. There are some really genuinely cool people here. Everybody there was super. cool. Yes, yes. As a matter of and fact, and I, I need to say a special thanks to the uh, banjo dude. Remember him? Yeah, the guy with the banjo and his girlfriend. They gave us they. Well, a lot of people brought gifts, and they brought me this. Uh, she made this really neat little egg where she had uh, made a design of thread. That was on the egg mm-hmm. it was really intricate and very cool. Very cool. And they also met my friend Justin and yeah. helped uh, him out in some ways. And they were very, very cool kids. 
And I can't remember her name, but there's a fan that um, both of us met, but I talked to her for a while. Grundy? And she gave us, no, not no. Grundy, um, but hey, Grundy. Yes. Uh, she gave us a molecular gastronomy book. Oh, yeah, yeah. She just wrote in yeah. today. I can't remember her name. I forget, oh, but thank you for it. Yeah, yeah. It was very awesome. So hopefully, possibly look for a molecular gastronomy podcast in the right. future. And I got CDs and like... Um, Jerk. A lot, of, a lot of bands were like, hey, man, listen to this. Yes, and we have to go listen to um, the Large Hadron podcast. Yes. I have not yet, but right. we need to go check them out. And uh, so that was Monday. So then we had our Wednesday, flash forward to Wednesday, mm-hmm. and we had our uh, all-star trivia night at yeah. the Bell House in Brooklyn. Yeah. And this was nuts. Yes. We had um, an probably, all-star team that we like cobbled together. 500 people or yeah, so showed up to play trivia. Standing room only, for sure. It was In this crazy. big room. It was a big venue. It was like a concert venue. Yes. Like, I you, I could see sticks playing there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's it was standing room only. I would say about 500 people. And we, we cobbled together this really awesome trivia team. Yeah, go ahead and lower the boom there. Okay. So uh, we had Jackson Public, who uh, creates this uh, this super cool cartoon called Adventure Brothers yeah. that you may be familiar with. He was one of the head writers on The Tick. Yes. And he was brought along by our buddy John Hodgman. We can say our buddy. Yeah, we can now. I feel like he's our friend. Yeah, he is. He is. You can feel that way. Right. Uh, and I'm really glad that John brought um, Jackson along because he actually saved our, our butts like several times trivia. with questions. Yeah. yeah. We would have, there would have been like five, six questions that we wouldn't have gotten had it not been for him. And he's a very cool guy. Uh-huh. Uh, Wyatt Cenek from The Daily Show came along. Another buddy. Super cool. We actually had lunch with Ian Hodgman one day. Yes. The uh, the esteemed Joe Randazzo, the editor-in-chief of The Onion, who, again, yes. we couldn't have done any of this without. Joe was awesome. Joe was there just looking pumped, you know, because he works <laughs> out instead of smokes now. He's very intimidating. And then um, Ira Glass. Yes. Our, uh, Ira Glass. The man that we stare up at in the iTunes rankings every day. Yes. Ira Glass was there. In, um, On our team. Not there to, to berate us. No, he no. was there on our team. He was very cool, and I just need to say that he came up to me afterward and was blown away. Do your impression, Chuck. Oh, and I don't want to start impersonating Ira Glass. <laughs> your fans are amazing. That was pretty good. That was close. <laughs> he was blown away by the by the enthusiasm of, of the Stuff You Should Know Army. Yeah. And he doesn't, and Randazzo came up too, and he's like, man, Ira doesn't get this sort of like rock star thing much. So he was tickled. To be there, I think, yeah, and have people, you know, fawning over him and telling him how much they loved him, yeah, it's, which is something he deserves, yep. And Hodgman, we mentioned John Hodgman was on our team, yeah, and he was one of the funniest, quickest witted, smartest guys I've ever met in my life. Agreed, I'm with you a hundred percent on that one. Like I told my buddy Scotty about that, and he said you're really quick though, man. I said yeah, but when uh, I no, dude, when I quickly make like a fart joke. Hodgman is that quick, but he references like an 18th century poet. Right. And it fits, and it's funny. Right. It's like a um, a, a, a drag racer yeah. in like a, a 15-year-old donkey in competition <laughs> in that one. Thank you. Yeah. Same so here, the, buddy. Yeah. I, I've got like the 12-year-old donkey thing going on. All right. So, uh, yeah, but we thanks, had a good everybody. time. Thank you very much, everybody, out. who helped uh, that. And it was such a success, and we had such a good time that we're like, why would we spend any more time at the office? Let's go hit other cities. So look for other cities in the very near future, and yeah. we want to know where we should go next. So if you have a suggestion of uh, what city, uh, where we should go, that kind of thing, you want to play us in trivia, let us know. Send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. Stuff Works.com.
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? In business, first impressions are everything. And that's why every business owner needs to know about Ruby. Ruby is the virtual receptionist company who screens, transfers, and takes messages 24-7, all while making your customers feel special. You definitely don't want to hire a subpar front desk person. And with Ruby, they engage with your callers in a conversational way, just like your best employee would. Never miss another customer call again. This year, make your business the best it can be. Visit ruby.com today. Or just call them at 844-900-RUBY. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.